hope you guys will get something out of this. This is the Saturday meeting and people listening on the podcast. And um, I've, I've put together, we started the book for the 10th time uh, last week, and we looked at the covers and the foreword to the first edition and <clears throat> the table of contents, kind of how it's laid out. And today we're going to look at the original manuscript. It was sold to the world in 2010, and it's put together in this book. And it includes uh, a couple essays on the history of the book. It includes a talk from Bill W., which I'm going to read some of it on how they decided to do the book. It has a lot of historical information. But most importantly, it has the original text. And this is kind of like what it looks at, like. And I had Patty copy it. I didn't know she'd be able to do it. So I copied how it works. But the whole, the whole uh, first 164 pages is like that. And um, to start out, it was, um, this, is the, this is the manuscript that they submitted. They didn't have uh, printers like we had. They didn't have, uh, they had a typewriter. And they, um, this is the actual um, document that went to the printer. Now, some people say, well, gee. But this book has uh, meant a lot to me and others. In the preface, they talk about uh, how this uh, manuscript was made available. Uh, Lois Smith had this. She had the original manuscript. In 1976, before she died, she gave it to this man who was... Uh, uh, a, a younger man who was a good friend of hers and, and uh, to, do, to do with it what he wanted. And he decided to uh, make it available and it was auctioned at Southby's in 2010. We're going to read the description of what, how they described this book. And it was sold, I think, for a million dollars. And the guy who sold it uh, wanted to make it available to the world. And... Um, in the preface, he says, in homage to my grandmother, who often cited the famous line from the Sermon on the Mount, don't hide your light under a bushel, I, the current owner of the manuscript, happily, proudly, and humbly make this original working manuscript edition of the big book accessible to the public for the first time. And it's such a powerful thing when you look at the lives that it's changed. Um, they have a historical context of the big book. They have an, uh, five or six uh, pages on it, and it helps you put it in perspective. Uh, the, the manuscript itself, they say, is a rare and valuable snapshot into about a f crit few critical weeks in 1939 that captures the controversy and creativity that went into producing this book. And the book's purpose was to explain AA's plan of recovery to the world. Now, mid-February that year, they printed up about 400 multi-lith copies, which were these, these uh, copies that they, they distributed to people in the public that they wanted to hear from, uh, prominent clergy, uh, members of, the, of AA, uh, people in all different walks of life to get their views on the information presented. And they... Uh, uh, they distribute it to doctors, ministers, uh, uh, health professionals. Suggestions came in, and as the suggestions came in, they put it together in the manuscript. And then we're going to read how they had this original manuscript like this, 
and then they spent a few days, there were four or five people looking at it and kind of looking at each word, and then it went to the printer. The printer got this thing, he says, what am I gonna do? Look at this thing. So as he worked on it, Bill W. and Hank Parkhurst and a couple others stayed in the town where he was, and they looked through it as he tried to decipher it, and then this is what we have in the book. <clears throat> and um, he's, it says it encapsulates and preserves the thinking of the people who were founding AA during this brief time. And we're going to look at some of the changes. I couldn't copy the whole thing, but it's really powerful. And I'll, I'll look at some of them. We'll look at how it works. And there are a couple pages. That, there's annotations in the margins that are really, uh, uh, to me, I don't know about you, I don't worship the book, but I worship the message. And to see how the message came, uh, remember the Old Testament, New Testament, you know, they weren't, somebody wrote that, put it together, how actually, like the book of Matthew came to be in the, in the, in the, in the context that it's printed today, I'm sure there's similar things happened. Uh, the historical context, I think, is very important. We're sitting here today in 2017, but it was a different world then. And it explains things. The Great Depression, they talked about 1938, 39, the country was still in really bad shape. Uh, the economy was, was, was getting better, but it was limping along. And they say the effect of this for many marginal workers, and they have, for instance, alcoholics, to obtain jobs and support their families was very hard. And that explains the language of the book to wives, family afterwards, and to employers. And you could see how close-knit the society was, that the families, the family actually went to the meetings, the wives, sometimes the wives went to the first day meetings in Akron and New York before the husbands went. Uh, it was a family involved, a very powerful, and out of that came not only AA, but Al-Anon, which has helped so many people. Then they talk about prohibition, it just ended in 33. That was the solution that people had for drinking problems was to make it illegal. <laughs> How's that worked with, uh, how'd that work? Well, people were drinking more than ever, and uh, a lot of people got rich. We had a president whose father became rich uh, selling whiskey, uh, Joseph Kennedy. And um, uh, the temperance movement was the best solution to the alcoholic problem that society had. But they make the, the point here that the big book presents a different solution to the problem. And the writing points out these differences if you're in the book, and it often declares that AA is addressing the problems of individual alcoholics rather than society as a whole. The individual, the alcoholic, the real alcoholic. And they didn't want to legislate anybody's drinking. Remember, we don't have an opinion on alcohol, and it says at the end that we don't uh, judge and we don't, uh, I think it's the end of working with others. They talk about how we, we avoid making any judgments about alcohol itself. Um, and the, then he talks about the Oxford group, and I think this is very powerful. I did a podcast on the, on the history of AA and the, alcohol and the Oxford group. I talked about it a little bit on Wednesday night when we looked at step 10, and Joe McHugh made the point that the principles that we use every day in the steps in step 10 are very similar to first Christianity principles uh, right after Jesus died. How did people practice what he said? And that was the purpose of the Oxford group. And remember, they had the four absolutes, absolute love, honesty, purity, and unselfishness. And if you practice that as absolutely as you can, you're going to be practicing the scripture. 
and he talked about, they say, but Dr. Bob and Bill were active members of the Oxford group, and it was founded by Frank Buckman in 1921. I've talked about that. And they used the name of First Century Christian Fellowship. So they're trying to practice spiritual principles in all their affairs. And they were greatly influenced by the structure and the beliefs of the Oxford group. Uh, Bill Wilson states, the influence of the Oxford group, quote, early AA got its ideas of self-examination, we talk about that a lot, acknowledgement of character defects, restitution for harms done and working with others straight from the Oxford group, and he says, and from nowhere else. And there was a lot of Oxford group literature at the time that they used. I have, I have this uh, uh, article about the books used in the big book, and I may do that next week. And it goes through all the books used and what they took from all the books to put it together in this book. I find that interesting. I don't know, does anybody else think that would be good? It's really powerful. And then the, the, the Oxford group influencer woven throughout the book. Then they called, the, the first few years was called the flying blind period. <laughs> think of that, flying blind. And um, when the big book was published, there were actually only two A meetings in existence. I thought there were three. I thought Cleveland, but apparently that group was, was going, but they took the name AA from the book in Cleveland. And there was a Tuesday night meeting in Brooklyn. I didn't know what night it was. And in Akron, it was on Wednesday nights. And the book was said to be a meeting in print. And it was intended to be the primary vehicle for carrying this message to people who've never heard of the group. And this was the rationale for putting uh, the personal stories in the second half for identification. And uh, that's very helpful, how, how it tells you they had a very pragmatic approach to alcoholism, and they were trying to understand when they wrote this what their collective experience was, what had worked for them, and to write it in a clear and concise way. The first two chapters, There's a Solution Bill's Story, were written in late May and early June in 1938. He was only three and a half years sober, think about that. He was only four years sober when the first full vision of the 12 steps was done in 1938. Uh, all other contributors had been less sober. And I was thinking of that a lot because Bill Wilson was certainly a flawed program, a flawed human being. And people have pointed out he had a lot of character defects which existed after he wrote the book and throughout his whole life. And people use that as an example for AA is no good and what was written doesn't but you know, uh, the people that God chose in scripture were flawed people as well, and uh, throughout history. And um, uh, it's not too hard for me to believe, knowing uh, a human being and looking at this book, that Bill was inspired by God. And the thoughts, and actually when he wrote the actual 12 steps at night, he didn't know how to write the actual program. And so he prayed and he, he meditated, it was midnight, and he says, uh, the, the pen just went through the paper and, and he had these scraps of yellow sheets of paper and when he put it together he had the 12 steps. So, um, I thought we'd look at how it works and then I'm going to go into a little bit more history. Everybody has the handout. Uh, we read this at every meeting. Do you know how that got started? You want me to tell you? Uh, uh, Oh, no. All right. Well, you're overvoted. <laughs> Linda's not coming tomorrow, so I'll be okay. Uh, 
<laughs> Chuck Chamberlain his new pair of glasses. Now he was in California in Palm Springs and California, and he said there was a Jewish businessman who was an alcoholic, and he lived in Palm Springs, and he got a copy of the book. And then he went to L.A. and he found a few other uh, alcoholics and they were going to start a meeting. And they didn't know how to start the meeting, what they were going to start it with. And he said, well, why don't we read these pages from How It Works? Because this is how it works. And that's how it got started. It was in about 1944, 1945. And we continue that today. I, I think it's a great tradition. I think one of the problems is it's taken out of context. It's on cards now, not in the book. Sometimes people don't realize it's on page 58. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done, and it's part of the book. And so uh, you can see all the, uh, the changes. Like it should be studied from the mold angle, and they, uh, they, they crossed that out because we're going to see later that they didn't want to mold us into a certain position. Now, I've heard people say, it says, rarely have we seen a person fail us thoroughly followed our, and it talks about directions, they change at the path. They didn't want the alcoholic to feel directed to do anything or that he must do anything in how it works. And they took it out, as you'll see, but then when we look at the, uh, the third step, it says you must be rid of selfishness, it's going to kill you, and I think must is about 100 times in the big book. But they, um, they were very, uh, they, had a, they had a clear... Uh, way now, somebody said Bill Wilson wanted to change rarely. He wished he put it, hadn't put it in. Anybody ever heard that? We hear that. Yeah, but it's it's not true, uh, according to uh, Chuck C. And he knew Bill Wilson. And the reason I think they put rarely is because if we put never have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path, and somebody went to AA, and then they relapsed, then we would say, well, it doesn't work, and well, they didn't follow the path. And so they, they made it rarely, which I think made a big difference. Because then if people said, well, if it was perfect, then why are people uh, drinking again? And then they wouldn't think AA works. So in the first uh, paragraph, they changed it to developing a manner of living. And they had a way of life. Then in the stories disclose, well, we have any length to get it. Then look what they crossed out. Then you're, then you're ready to follow directions. Well, it's hard. I can't get people I work with to follow directions. <laughs> Alcoholics don't want to follow directions. I didn't want to follow directions. I had my own plan to take certain steps, uh, but we could not. It's in there, but they didn't put, oh, uh, that's for the next. It says that some of these, you may balk, and it says you may think you could find an easier way. And it says, we thought we could. And then it softer way, it says, we doubt if you can. They took that out, but it's probably true. And then in the next paragraph, it says, remember that you are dealing with alcohol, cunning, baffling, and powerful. Without help, it is too much for you. Now, I think one of the problems with the wheeze, and I'm glad they did it, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have any opinion on it. It is what it is. But if people read it in the first person, it would make more sense. I tried to get people to read pages 60 to 63 in the first person. And, uh, and actually, you should read the whole book in the first person and ask yourself the questions that they ask. And then it makes it more, because you can hear, well, they, we, and all, not really think that you need to be one of the we. Can you imagine an alcoholic doing that? Thing is, oh, mind that he's not the we. They're the we, and I'm different. Um, 
But there's one who has power. That one is God. May you, you must find him now. And it says, may you find him now. And then they crossed out something. And I can't see. And then there's this, if you notice, there's initials on the side, initials at the top. These are the people that, it says, half measures will avail you nothing. You stand at the turning point. Throw yourself under his care, protection and care with complete abandon. I mean, they were mincing any words. And it says, when we were receptive, he responded. Now, that didn't get into the book, but think about it. God can and will if he has sought. It says, now we think you could take it. <laughs> they took that out of it. But you could see the, this was the final printing. And then the final, you could see the, the, how they thought about this book. And, and the, this book was to be the message. This was something that they thought you should do. <clears throat> Here are the steps we took, which is suggested as your program of recovery. Uh, a lot of people think it's suggested as uh, uh, our program of recovery, and then that doesn't include them. Um, it says, um, and they, they had the steps, they changed, made a decision, to turn the will in our lives over the care and direction of God as we understood him, and they crossed out direction. Um, and God as we understand him, we'll look at that a little later, how that got in the big book. It was a compromise between the people who wanted it to be a, a completely Christian book and those who wanted it to be a book open to all, all people. And I think that was one of the, the greatest things that they gave to the world. And it says it's admitted to God, and they wrote to ourselves another human exact nature of our wrongs. When anxious express greater thing, they're talking about we're entirely willing, and then they change it ready to have God remove all these defects of character. They change the words. Then on seven, they had humbly on our knees. Asked them to remove our shortcomings, holding nothing back. They crossed that out. Willing to make complete, to make amends, and they didn't. They took out the word complete. And then uh, let's look at. Is this okay? People find this interesting. No. Um, it says uh, we thought through prayer and meditation to prove our contact with God, and then. They put conscious contact, which I think is really a powerful word. God as we understood him. And then having had a spiritual experience as the result of this course of action. I like that. It makes people understand what, what is the result of this program. It's to have a spiritual awakening, a spiritual experience. Chuck C. describes it really well. I never thought of it this way. He talks about our main problem is conscious separation from God and the solution is conscious contact with God. And he also says God and other people. And he talks about how we can't change our reality. We are in a reality. But alcoholics through using, um, alcoholics through using their ego create their own reality. And we live in this reality that's not the real reality with God. Our, all of our old ideas, our resentments, our fears, they're reality we created. And when we're in that reality, we think it's true, but it's not. And then we are asleep to the real reality, which is God in the world. 
And so an awakening is to wake up and say, gee, the world I was living in, I created, and it's not even real. And then I'm living, I want to live in the real world with God. And that's what the world of the spirit is. I don't know about you, but that makes a lot of sense to me. Because we, anybody live in their own reality? Anybody believe their fears, their anger, the way they saw the world? Anybody believe that they, their satisfaction, their instincts of life, the way they wanted would make them happy? Never did, did it? And you see, the human ego is never satisfied. So when we're, when we're living in our own reality, it never works. And it says, uh, they crossed out, offered the people a bit of spiritual tools, but no compulsion could be, and I can't read it, to show others, especially alcoholics, what it said. So they, they put a lot of words, and they, you see, they put to others, especially alcoholics, and they crossed out that to alcoholics. And it doesn't say alcoholics who are drinking, right? It's to all alcoholics. Then... Um, it says our description of the alcoholic, the chapter of the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after have been, de have been designed to sell you three-parted ideas. They crossed that out. <laughs> that you are alcoholic and cannot manage your own life. I think that would make a lot more sense to people. They read it, you know, we are alcoholics and could not manage our own lives. There probably no human power can relieve your alcoholism that God can and will. And they said, had and would if he would sought. It says, if you're not convinced on these vital issues, you ought to reread the book to this point or else throw it away. And you, you can see how some of the stuff that isn't crossed out, they actually took out in the final. Uh, but really, if you're not convinced of those three issues, you're not going to do the work. Now, why would you not be convinced of those things? You haven't really been defeated. You haven't really seen that your condition is hopeless as you life as you've living it. And and you have to really hit that bottom spiritually, not physically, spiritually, that you can see the truth. And I think that's a gift from God. I think to be completely defeated and see the reality, the false reality is not true, to see the reality of your situation as it really is, is a gift from God. Now what you do with that is up to you, but he gives you that gift to at least see it. It says, if you are convinced, you're now at step three. And uh, as we did it, um, and just what do we do? And it says, the first requirement, I'll be convinced. Then they, they were pretty good. They didn't make too many changes. But look at the next page. We'll just look at a little of this. It says uh, on that thing, uh, they arise in ourselves and the alcohol is almost the most extreme example is an extreme example that could be found of self and riot. Uh, many of us have moral and philosophical convictions before, but you wouldn't live up to them even if you would have liked to. Neither could you reduce, and you see, you must have God's help. And then, uh, you could study this later, but this is just this is a page, and these pages are actually look pretty good compared to some of them. And but if you notice, it, they're putting a, they put like a, a parenthesis or something, and they say though all, all through, Bill is known as a person that doesn't want to pour into molds. I think that's very important. He didn't want to make this a specific mold. It's open for you 
to mold yourself with God's help. And so that was one of the powerful things that came out of this. Uh, the other thing is you notice how it works can fit really almost on one little page. You see, we think it's a lot of words, right? Because of the way they did the print and everything. So you can look at that. I think the changes and the words reflect how they were really looking at uh, how they were looking at this program. Then um, the talk about the proof sheet changes. Here's a um, interview that Bill did with Dorothy Snyder, <coughs> Clarence Snyder's. Uh, uh, with Dorothy Snyder, and it says, Bill, do you remember when I was with you and Hank and Ruth in Cornwall, New York, that night before the book was done? I should think I do. It was one of my precious moments. Well, one of the things that I had told Ruth is the care with which that was done. <coughs> Even though psychiatrists, priests, ministers, and other people given their opinions on the book, here it was ready to roll. <coughs> I could still see you were reading parts, different phrases to you, and you would weigh those phrases. This is really say what you mean. And then would it really help somebody? Would it offend this group, that group, or other groups? See how hard it was to write this book? It says, you know, we're going to talk about God. We hope we don't offend anybody. <coughs> After one of these discussions, Hank was sort of pounding at you that a certain phrase were perhaps too strongly put, but I could still hear you say, well, I don't want this thing to be so insipid that they don't want to get the idea that what they have to do to get sober. Think about that. Hank, Bill, Hank was going to water it down. On the other hand, that was the friction between Jim Burwell. You can hear Jim Burwell's uh, talk on a XA Speakers. It's from 1958. He talks about the three years before the writing of the book. Hank, myself, on the other side, Fritz Mayo. Fritz Mayo was the one who wrote <coughs> a story about uh, finding God. He was the minister's son. Uh, it says we had a hell of a rumpus about how we were going to use all, all these expressions. My position was that if you went overboard with the old expressions, you could tell people, and if you labeled it as a strictly Christian book, you'd have to take in God knows what, and if, on the other hand, we just make it a psychological job of it, nobody would get well from it anyway. So it was very hard to write a book that was spiritual and uh, the spiritual principles and not water it down or not make it mold into a uh, religious. And there's something in here where they talk about how religion made these rules and that might separate people. And it says, uh, then they made a few uh, changes and that we looked at that. Then the printer's copy here, they talk about how it was just really hard to figure out exactly what was going on when he looked at it. Then they have a whole section here in the big book, Revealed, written, and they, and they, uh, they talk about uh, Aldous Huxley was a great philosopher, I believe, author. He referred to Wilson as the greatest social architect of the 20th century. When Time Magazine named its 100 most influential people of the 20th century, uh, they named Bill Wilson. Not that he was a saint, but the work, the power of his spiritual experience. Remember, it was the power of Bill's spiritual experience that drove him to do this. What God had done for him, and he wanted to share that with the world. Does that sound like any people in the uh, New Testament? That their spiritual experience and how, especially the analogy that Joe and Charlie make between Saul and Paul and Bill Wilson before and after his experience in the hospital. And, and uh, uh, Sandy Beach says that that was really the white, the, the white light experience was really the, the main spark because Bill had that experience that he could not, 
He could not stop doing what he did. And, 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 uh, and then, of course, there's the other experience where he had it in the uh, Mayflower Hotel in the lobby. That was an extension of his relationship with God. And uh, M. Scott Peck uh, uh, th th proposed that the AA is a revolution. It's starting is going to be the salvation, not only for alcoholics, but for all. Some people think that in 100 years, everybody will read this book to see how to live the spiritual principles. Um, then um, some of the editing process, they were like with the broad highway. We like that line. You will know you're on the broad highway, walking hand in hand with the spirits of the universe. It says, well, you, it, the working manuscript says, you will know you're on the broad highway till we knew we were on the broad highway. They had knowledge of God. And remember, that's in the chapter to we agnostics, those without knowledge of God. It reflects the tendency of the author's personal experience rather than to dictate to someone else. So do what they did and see if you are on the broad highway with them. Remember, it ends the book, you shall join us on the road to happy destiny. In capital letters for happy destiny, which somebody pointed out, and I think that's very powerful. Uh, Another example, they talk about this guy who wrote uh, a book about his relationship with God. Then they talk about Dr. Howard. He was a psychiatrist who you could see his initials in the book. He was very helpful, and he changed uh, the books by some of the you must, you should, and, and substituting descriptions of what had worked for others. He wanted to make the book descriptive rather than directive. And I think that's good because he understood as a psychiatrist, we fight direction. We don't want to give up on our plan. Did anybody have a plan that they thought was pretty good? You must have. You lived your whole life on it. And that plan got us here, right? Sandy Beach says, your plan got your wristband. So we don't ask newcomers what their plan is. We don't care. We just wanted to know that this plan will work for us and you if you try it. So why do people give up their plan and do the steps? It's very simple. We don't have any other choice. And that's why if you're completely defeated, you'll know you're doing the steps. If you're not completely defeated, you're fighting it, you're dragging your feet. And they talk about the relationship between religion and spirituality. And uh, he didn't want to, uh, they didn't want to give it a religious character. And that really changed things. They talk about the ultimate decision about God. We had a definite formula that some 60 of us agreed was the middle course for all alcoholics who wanted sobriety. And that formula has not been changed why Oda down through the years. I don't think the boys were completely convinced of my personality change, for they fought shy of including my story in the book. So my only contribution to the literary efforts was my firm conviction, since I was still a theological rebel, that the word God should be qualified with the phrases we understood him. For that was the only way I could accept spirituality. I think that's very powerful. Like John Charlie make the point, you can't argue with your conception of God. It's your conception of God. Now, one of the things that I think people don't understand is that the conception of God when you came in here is an old idea. And you can let go of that, and you can change it to your new conception. The conception of God when I had in here was, boy, I was screwed. <laughs> I was screwed, and uh, I didn't want God to know where I was. And... Uh, uh, anybody else feel that way? Because I saw God as a punishing God and judging God, and today my God is, is pure love. And that's a spiritual change for me. 
then uh, they talk about the fate of the working masses. When, when uh, Sotheby's was trying to describe it to the world, when they put it up for auction, it says, in other words, God, as we understood him, the fellowship of A in the big book has saved millions of alcoholics from death and given them a new way of life. It's the gold standard among the worldwide community of 12-step groups. Uh, it says, amid your wealth of literature in AA, you have in your hands the greatest treasure of all, the beginning of it all, the charter of the fellowship, like the Magna Carta. This was the charter of our spiritual principles. That's why I think it's so interesting. Um, I'm just going to show you, I, I didn't copy this, but they have in here, this was Bill W.'s original writing, two pages of Bill's story, and this is actually how he wrote it. And, and you can see there are very few cross-outs. And we've studied Bill's story how many times, and every time I read it, it's more powerful. And he, his story, I think, came directly from his view of himself. Now, if he had written the story, he was still an alcoholic, it would have been a different story. You see, we tell someone our life story, but his story after his spiritual experience changed. And he could see the old Bill and the new Bill. And it's, it's really powerful just to see the original words. Uh, then at the end, I hope I haven't talked too long, but uh, here's Bill W.'s words on how this uh, got started. And then I'll end with this. He says, I'd like, just like to spin some yarn, and there will be a series of yarns which cluster around the preparation of the good old book, Alcoholics Anonymous. Some people reading the book now, they say, well, this is the A Bible, and when I hear that, it always makes me shudder because the guys who put it together weren't a damn bit biblical. I think sometimes most of the drunks have an idea that these old-timers went around with almost visible halos and long gowns, and they were full of sweetness and light. Oh, boy, how inspired they were. Oh, yes, but wait till I tell you. I suppose the book yarn really started in the living room of Doc and Ann Smith. As you know, I landed there in the summer of 35, a little group called Hold. I helped Smithy briefly with it, and he went on to found the first AA group in the world. And as with all new groups, it was nearly all failure, but now and then somebody saw the light and there was progress. Pampered, I got back to New York. A little more experienced group started there. By the time we got around to 1937, this thing had leaped over into Cleveland with Clarence Snyder and begun to move south from New York. But it was still, we thought in those years, a flying blind, a flickering candle indeed, think about it, that might at any moment be snuffed out. So in this late fall afternoon in 1937, Smithy and I were talking together in this living room and sitting there by the gas logs, and I visited uh, Bob, Dr. Bob's house. It's exactly as it was then, the gas logs. There's a Bible up in the mantle. It was a small room by our standards, smaller than this room here. And it, there was a hallway. It was, uh, there, but there were two chairs and the fire and the guy and the Bible in between. So they started to count noses. How many people had stayed dry in Akron, in New York, maybe a few in Cleveland? How many had stayed dry and for how long? You remember, this is 1937. Doctor Bob was sober two years. Bill two and a half years. When we added up that score, it was true. It was a handful, about 35 to 40. But enough time had elapsed on enough really fatal cases of alcoholism so that when we grasped the import of these small statistics, Bob and I saw the first time that this thing was going to succeed, that God in his providence and mercy had thrown a new light into the dark caves 
where we and our kind had been and were still by the millions dwelling. Think about it. I can never forget the elation and ecstasy that seized us both. And then we fell happily talking and reflecting. We reflect that, well, a couple score of them were sober, but this had taken three long years. There had been an immense amount of failure, but a long time had been taken just to sober up the handful. How could this handful carry its message to all those who still didn't know? Not all the drunks in the world could come to Akron or New York. How could we transmit our message to them and what means? And then it says... Um, uh, It says, so we called the meeting of the Akron group, I'll end with this. That is to say, those who have been sober any great length of time, I think for that particular meeting, we scraped up about 18 people. Think about it. We have how many here, 35 or so? Anybody sober? Good, good. At that evening, Bob and I told them that we were within sight of success, and we thought this thing might go on and on and on, that a new light indeed was shining in our dark world. But here's the point. How could this light be reflected and transmitted without being distorted and garbled? I think they did a good job. I think they were divinely inspired. How many, how many years have I been doing this meeting? How many times have I read the book? I always see something new. It always helps me uh, get closer to my creator. I don't worship the words in the book. I worship how they help me see the reality of God's universe and get out of the reality that's my universe and how I do that all day long. And the more I see a God's universe, the better I feel and I see. And then I want to see more. I just had an experience yesterday I'm not going to share, but it really helped me get so close to my creator. It was something really special. I'll share it at some time, but not now. I talk too long. So I'm going to open it up for uh, a little bit of discussion. And then uh, uh, next week... Uh, what did I say I was going to do? Oh, I'm going to bring in the article on how the big book, the books that were used, and you can see how they got the ideas. And there, there are phrases and lines in this book that we say, gee, how'd they come up with this? But they got it from other people. Bill Wilson says there was very little original in this, almost nothing original. They took it, and then somebody called uh, AA Big Book the biggest heist of the century. <laughs> and, and I think that's why it's so powerful, because it is, it is the combination of the spiritual... Uh, uh, information that was available to them. So thank you.